A reading today, first chapter of the book of First Kings. When King David was old and well advanced in years, he could not keep warm even when they put covers over him. So his servant said to him, Let us look for a young virgin to attend the king and take care of him. She can lie beside him so that our lord the king may keep warm. Then they searched throughout Israel for a beautiful girl and found Abishag, a Shunammite, and brought her to the king. She was very beautiful. She took care of the king and waited on him. But the king had no intimate relations with her. Now, Adonijah, whose mother was Haggith, put himself forward and said, I will be king. So he got chariots and horses ready and 50 men to run ahead of him. His father had never interfered with him by asking, Why do you behave as you do? He was also very handsome and was born next after Absalom. Adonijah conferred with Joab, son of Zeruiah, and Abiathar the priest, and they gave him their support. But Zadok the priest, Benaiah son of Jehoiada, Nathan the prophet, Shimei, Rei, and David's special guard did not join Adonijah. Adonijah then sacrificed sheep, cattle, and fattened calves at the stone of Zohiath near Enrogel. He invited all his brothers, the king's son, and all the men of Judah who were royal officials. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet, or Benaiah, or the special guard, or his brother Solomon. Then Nathan asked Bathsheba, Solomon's mother, Have you not heard that Adonijah, son of Haggith, has become king without our Lord David's knowing it? Now then, let me advise you how you can save your own life and the life of your son Solomon. Go into King David and say to him, My lord the king, did you not swear to me, your servant? Surely Solomon, your son, shall be king after me, and he will sit on my throne. Why then has Adoniah become king? While you are still there talking to the king, I will come in and confirm what you have said. So Bathsheba went to see the aged king in his room, where Abishag, the Shunammite, was attending him. Bathsheba bowed low and knelt before the king. What is it you want? the king asked. She said, My lord, you yourself swore to your servant by the Lord your God. Solomon, your son, shall become king after me, and he will sit on my throne. But now Adjaniah has become king, and you, my lord the king, do not know about it. He has sacrificed great numbers of cattle, fought in calves and sheep, and has invited all the king's sons, Abiathar the priest and Joab the commander of the army. But he has not invited Solomon, your servant. My lord the king, the eyes of Israel are upon you to learn from you who will sit on the throne of my lord the king after him. Otherwise, as soon as my lord the king is laid to rest with his fathers, I and my son Solomon will be treated as criminals. While she was still speaking with the king, Nathan the prophet arrived, and he told, they told the king, Nathan the prophet is here. So he went before the king and bowed with his face to the ground. Nathan said, Have you, my lord the king, declared that Adjaniah shall be king after you, and that he will sit on your throne? 
Today he has gone down and sacrificed great numbers of cattle, fountain calves, and sheep. He has invited all the king's sons, the commanders of the army, and Abiathar the priest. At this very moment they are eating and drinking with him and saying, Long live King Adjaniah! But me, your servant, and Zadok the priest, and Benaiah son of Jehoiada, and your servant Solomon, he did not invite. Is this something my lord the king has done, without letting his servants know who should sit on the throne of my lord the king after him? Then King David said, Call in Bathsheba. So she came into the king's presence and stood before him. The king then took an oath. As surely as the Lord lives, who has delivered me out of every trouble, I will surely carry out today what I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel. Solomon, your son, shall be king after me, and he will sit on my throne in my place. Then Bathsheba bowed low with her face to the ground, kneeling before the king, and said, May my lord King David live forever. King David said, Call in Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah son of Jehoiada. When they came before the king, he said to them, Take your lord's servants with you, and set Solomon my son on my own mule, and take him down to Gihon. There shall Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him king over Israel. Blow the trumpet and shout, Long live King Solomon. Then you are to go up with him, and he is to come and sit on my throne and reign in my place. I have appointed him ruler over Israel and Judah. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, answered the king, Amen. May the Lord, the God of my lord the king, so declare it. As the Lord was with my lord the king, so may he be with Solomon to make his throne even greater than the throne of my lord king David. So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah son of Jehoiada, the Carathites, the Pelethites, went down and put Solomon on King David's mule and escorted him to Gion. Zadok the priest took the horn of oil from the sacred tent and anointed Solomon. Then they sounded the trumpet, and all the people shouted, Long live King Solomon! And all the people went up after him, playing flutes and rejoicing greatly, so that the ground shook with the sound. Adonijah and all his guests who were with him heard it as they were finishing their feast. On hearing the sound of the trumpet, Joab asked, What is the meaning of all this noise in the city? Even as he was speaking, Jonathan, son of Abiathar, the priest, arrived. Adonijah said, Come in! A worthy man like you must be bringing good news. Not at all, Jonathan answered. Our Lord King David has made Solomon king. The king has sent him with Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah son of Jehoiadin, the Carathites, the Pelethites, and they took him and put him on the king's mule. And Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet have anointed him king at Gion. From there they have gone up with cheering, and the city resounds with it. That's the noise you hear. Moreover, Solomon has taken his seat on the royal throne. Also, the royal officials have come to congratulate our Lord King David, saying, May your God make Solomon's name more famous than yours, and his throne greater than yours. And the king bowed in worship on his bed, and said, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, 
who has allowed my eyes to see a successor on my throne today. At this, all of Adjaniah's guests rose in alarm and dispersed. But Adjaniah, in fear of Solomon, went and took hold of the horns of the altar. Then Solomon was told, Adjaniah is afraid of King Solomon and is clinging to the horns of the altar. He says, Let King Solomon swear to me today that he will not put his servant to death with the sword. Solomon replied, If he shows himself to be a worthy man, not a hair of his head will fall to the ground. But if evil is found in him, he will die. Then King Solomon sent men, and they brought him down from the altar. And Adjaniah came and bowed down to King Solomon. And Solomon said, Go to your home. This is God's word. And good morning from Matt. My name is Matt, Matt Fuller. I'm um, a senior pastor here. It's lovely to be here with you. I haven't been here for months, uh, having been on study leave, so it's great to be back. And let me lead us in prayer as we begin. Our great God and Father, the Apostle Paul would tell us in the New Testament that you have set these things down, these stories, strange stories to our ears, but you set these stories down as examples and warnings to us. And so we pray we'd learn rightly from them what to do, what to avoid, and above all, that we would trust you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I don't know what you were doing last weekend on Bank Holiday Weekend in the torrential rain of Bank Holiday Monday. How miserable uh, in August. But in the torrential rain, uh, we went bowling, 10-pin bowling. I'm not old enough for lawn bowls yet, but 10-pin bowling. And um, it's one of those things you only do, I don't know, well, personally, I only do about once a year. Maybe your thing. You may be in a league. Um, but once a year. And so my aim is inconsistent, it's probably fair to say. But it's all right, because as long as you go with, um, we went with another family and a load of children, so it's fine, because up come up the bumpers uh, at the side. You know the side of the lane, so it is almost impossible to get zero. You can if you're very adept, you can get it right in the corner, but almost impossible. And so you, you bowl, and sometimes it goes straight and uh, all is well, and then sometimes a little awry and boof, 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 but all is well. Uh, the bumpers stop a calamity. And even the children, they can get the three-mile-an-hour strike, you know, the one that's just painful to watch. It's sort of... And then it just... You think, oh, my goodness, I hope they've polished this, otherwise it's never going to get down. And eventually it gets down there, and... And over they go. And you get the three-mile-an-hour strike. And even adults sometimes, that's of some benefit to us. Well, that's all very interesting. You come to a passage such, like, such as this, and it's a reminder there's a sense in which life is a little bit like that. Because the actions that you and I take, they matter. Oh, they matter enormously what we do. And yet at the same time, God has erected bumpers around his world. And so things can never go off course. Actually, eventually, his purposes will always prevail. Now, we can live this life smoothly, obediently to him, and sort of go straight down the lane, as it were. We can live this life foolishly and sort of bump and bump and bump and bump. But we'll still get there eventually. Personally, that's true. He's erected bumpers 
around our life. We might call them, instead of bumpers, his promises. That would be a more biblical way of phrasing it, perhaps better. Now, you and I make decisions. The actions that you and I take matter. And yet the promises of God and his sovereignty, his rule over this world, means that our lives never go completely out of his plan. And his kingdom is never derailed. His purposes for the world will prevail because he said so and he's promised and he's erected boundaries, bumpers, promises around this world. So it gets there. It works. His purposes prevail in the end. Our actions matter. But God always achieves his purposes. It's a very wonderful combination. And you've got to hold those two together. (laughs) Got to hold those two together. Now, we're going to spend a couple of months, not quite, uh, but in 1 Kings chapter 1 to 11, uh, with the wisest man that ever lived before uh, Jesus Christ, Solomon, the wisdom of Solomon. Uh, even if you've never read your Bible before, you've probably heard of Solomon just in culture, general culture. He is a wise man, and he is a wise man. And uh, in the successive weeks, there'll be much to learn from his wisdom, how to live. And in there's a sense, he, he sort of a foretaste or a shadow of the wisdom of Christ. You will see there's much to learn practically about how to be wise in this world. Yet before we get to Solomon's reign, there's a problem. At the start of 1 Kings, the kingdom's under threat. There is a coup about to happen. And in this uh, narrative, this story that God has recorded for us, again, you've got to hold the two truths together. One, God has said, I will build my kingdom and Solomon will be my king. Back in 2 Samuel 7, it's recorded in more detail, 2 Chronicles 22. My kingdom will always stand and Solomon is king after David. God has promised that. He's declared it. So when everything looks bad, don't panic. And yet the second half is what God's people do really matters. The actions of uh, particularly Nathan, Bathsheba, they make an enormous difference in this story. So you've got to hold the two truths together. When everything looks like it's falling apart, don't panic. You can't go outside of God's plan, but do act. He achieves his purposes through people. And you've got to hold those two together throughout this story. Let's get into it. Chapter 1, verse 1. King David. This is David of David and Goliath fame. Uh, He's been the king for about 40 years. He's conquered everyone in sight. He's the great military leader, but clearly now he's feeble. He's a sorry sight for a man who was once glorious in victory and glorious in battle. Chapter 1, verse 1. When King David was old and well advanced in years, he couldn't keep warm. Did you find that last night? Last night was a bit cold, wasn't it? Time to get the thick, time to get the duvet back out. And you know, anyway, not. But this is more significant. David was not warm, even when they put multiple duvets on him. He couldn't be warm, and so this slightly unusual to our, our, our this is wrong, isn't it? Really, but anyway, this unusual strategy. Let's get the young woman to lie next to him. The sort of hot water bottle. I know it's terrible. I know. But even secular sources of the time, this was sort of a generally understood medical treatment, particularly if you're a noble. And he's the king, so you don't just get any old body, you get a pretty body. It's just, don't, it's just how it was, it's not saying it's good. You know, they didn't have um, electric blankets in those days, and this is what you did, it's just how it was. So they get a, because he's the king, he gets a, a, a very attractive woman to warm him up at night. Verse 4. The girl was very beautiful. She took care of the king and waited on him. But just so we're clear, there was nothing untoward. 
The king had no intimate relations with her. But I guess the point is here, David is feeble. He's shivering in bed, no matter how many blankets, no matter how much they light the fire. He is at death's door, and after 40 years as king, the man has lost his vitality, he's lost his virility, and there's a power vacuum here. That's the scenario. And into that comes Adonijah. Now, there are many ways we could look at this. I'm going to carve it around the sort of main figures. So I'm going to say three things. Okay, Adonijah wanted to be king, verses 5 to 10. Nathan brought the needed counsel, 11 to 27. And then briefly then, David was roused to action. Okay, we're going to look at the three main characters, structure it that way. It's one way of looking at it. Okay, first then, Adonijah wanted to be king. Verse 5, now Adonijah, whose mother was Haggai, put himself forward. He's the oldest surviving son of David, so there's a sense in which you know, the, 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 the throne could pass to him, apart from the fact that God has said Solomon. Solomon is next. Okay. So Adonijah says, I will be king. Now, it's emphatic in the original. It's fronted. So he one says, the, the appropriate way of translating it, I, I will be king. Me, king. That's what's going to happen around here. It's a, a very, it's a power grab, is what he's doing. It's a naked lust for power. So he does what you do if you're having a coup. Uh, verse 5, he gets together chariots and horses, okay, the military, gathers the power behind him, the sort of physical force, uh, gets 50 men to run ahead of him, good to have an entourage showing how great you are. Um, and then we start to think, hold on, haven't I heard something like this before? And verse 6, he's also very handsome, and he's born after Absalom. Well, if you are a Bible reader, you know, years earlier, when David was at his peak as king, his oldest son, Absalom, had rebelled against him. Absalom, who was very handsome. And when he had a rebellion, gathered chariots and horses and had 50 men right ahead of him. And you're thinking, oh, here we go again. Yeah, it's another coup. Another coup against what's appropriate. It's another coup against David. But David is not blameless. Verse 6, his father had never interfered with him by asking, what do you behave? Excuse me, why do you behave as you do? No discipline in David's household. Disaster. So verse 7, Adonijah, he gathers strong allies around him. Joab, that's a great, you know, that's the sort of greatest military leader of the day in one sense. Abiathar, that's an old pal of David's, one of the original gang from Hebron. But he doesn't gather everyone. So striking who he doesn't talk to. He doesn't talk to the high priest, Zadok. Nathan, the recognized prophet who brings the word of God. Uh, David's special guard or his mighty men, you translate it. Those who are most loyal to David. So he's slightly selective in who he speaks to. Because here is a naked lust for power. And so verse 9, he has this private coronation ceremony. In one sense, this is just a timeless demonstration of human nature. Adonijah, it's a naked power grab, lust for power. And you get that at times. You see that throughout history, uh, Henry V, one of the greatest military kings the, uh, the, the England, English have ever had, sort of conquered 
pretty much 90%, almost all of France. Bit of a shame we didn't get it all. It would have been nice to have the med, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be nice? Anyway, not to worry. We, we gave it back, which is very kind. But uh, Henry V, you know, magnificent uh, military king, dies in, I forget, 1422, something like that. And it's just a vacuum. His feeble son becomes king. And Richard of York says, I, I will be king. And declares himself king and civil war takes place. It's just, it's timeless. There's a timelessness to it. But I guess reason God records it for us acutely in the, as Christians is, well, well, two reasons. One, this does happen in the church occasionally. I don't think in God's kindness we've seen it acutely here. But the New Testament will warn us, uh, John writes, of Diotrephes. He loves to be first and therefore won't work with others, 3 John 9. Oh, there are those in church who love to be first. Gather little groups around them, little factions emerge, little civil wars. Yeah, it'll happen. It's just all about me, ego, ego. But of course, we probably have to admit it, it does also happen in our own hearts at times. Yes, I know what should happen, what is best for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus, is probably this. But actually, it's all about me. And what I want is. So there's a choice between serving God's kingdom and the way I think he wants it to be and me. Well, I'm going with me. I. I will be king over my life. I mean, there's a certain timelessness to that. I think the test shows us, uh, throws out one, excuse me, the text throws out one little diagnostic test. Adonijah had this massive moment in his life. What's he going to do? And he only consulted with people who'd play him on side. He never asked those who might offer a contrary opinion. Do you think I should be king next? They ever went to the high priest, the senior prophet. Never. And I just, it's one of those things, a little warning. If you've got a significant decision to take in life and never confer with someone who might offer contrary advice, well, you, that should be a little warning light. You know, just occasionally someone will say, oh, I've... I've taken a new job. I've taken a job in whatever in Oman for three years. And you say, oh, that's interesting. Do you, do you know what the church is like there? No, no, that'll be tough spiritually. Oh, yeah, I, I guess. Who did you discuss that with before you took the job in Oman? Uh, uh, one or two mates. Oh. Yeah, I didn't want to talk to you because I, I, I knew you'd say it was a bad idea. <laughs> okay. If you're not willing to just expose yourself to a contrary opinion, or you know, sometimes people say, "I've taken this ethical decision." I know it's a, I know people disagree, but I've taken this route ethically. Oh, okay. Did you speak to Bob? Who you know, he's an expert in this. He's thought loads about it. No, I didn't want to speak to Bob. Well, why not? Well, I thought he might disagree with me. Oh. Well, again, if you can't expose yourself to a contrary view, you're unwilling to do that. That's a sort of decision in the dark. Uh, that, you, that's a little warning light, I would say. You've got to be careful there. Maybe 
if you're unwilling to expose yourself. It's a decision not driven by, oh, I wonder what is best to help me serve Jesus. It's all about me. I will be king. I will do what I want on my terms. Me. Just a warning. I want to be king over my life. I want to get what I want. That's Adonijah. Adonijah wanted to be king. What happens though? Well, second thing, Nathan brought needed counsel, which is 11 to 27. Nathan brought needed counsel. Now, Nathan and Bathsheba, then they go and address David. And to be fair, there's loads of different views about whether what they do is good or bad. Lots of people say, oh, it's a bit Machiavellian. Tell you what, Bathsheba, you go in and then I'll come in from the left and we'll get him. And, you know, the poor old feeble cold bloke won't know what's hit him. Um, And lots of people do seem to take it that way. I don't think that's right. Now, no doubt Bathsheba is not dispassionate here. She knows, verse 12, her life is on the line and Solomon's life is on the line. So she's not dispassionate. But Nathan, Nathan hasn't got the same level of involvement. He's not sort of personally interested in the same way. And what gets emphasized? Well, it seems to me two things in particular. The first is promises made. So verse 17, Bathsheba comes in. Must be very humiliating to come before David in his current state. But anyway, verse 17, she said to him, My Lord, you yourself swore to me by your servant, excuse me, you yourself swore to me, your servant, by the Lord your God, Solomon, your son, shall become king after me, and he will sit on my throne. David, you promised Solomon because David... God said to you, Solomon. So, uh, um, uh, the Lord speaking to David, 2 Chronicles 22, you will have a son who will be a man of peace and rest. His name will be Solomon. And I will grant Israel peace and quiet during his reign. Solomon is the one who will build a house for my name. David, do you not remember? You promised to me Solomon will be king because God said to you, so, so David, this is an issue of whether we obey God or not. So I think for Bathsheba and for Nathan, their actions are one of faith. They're trusting promises that God has made. That seems to me what's going on. I think the other thing emphasizes is how they address David. Repeatedly this section, they refer to him, my Lord the King, verse 20. My Lord the King, the eyes of all Israel are on you to learn from you who will sit on the throne of my Lord the King after him. And it's repeated over and over and over again. I think it's a very polite way of saying, David, you're the King. Everyone's watching you. I suggest you get off your backside and do something. It's the sort of polite way you address a monarch. But David, you, you, you've got to do something here. And notice what takes place then. God has said, Solomon will be king. Nathan doesn't just sit back and say, well, how's that going to happen? Golly, God has promised Solomon to be king. It looks pretty unlikely. Looking forward to seeing how God pulls this one out of the bag. Good night, everyone. I'm going to bed. doesn't do that. Lord is Bathsheba. Looks like I'm going to be killed. And so Solomon... God's promised that's not how, that's not going to happen. Excited to see how this one turns out. No, they don't just sit back and say, God has promised, we do nothing. They say, God has promised, let's act. Let's do it, let's get involved. Our part in the kingdom matters. The role that you play in the kingdom matters. 
you know, one of the classic examples of this uh, is William Carey. William Carey, the father of, of, of missions, took the gospel to India. But uh, famously, uh, in 1790, he declared in a, in, a, in a sort of church gathering, he was going to go to India. And he was told by, the, by one of the pastors, young man, sit down. You are an enthusiast. If the Lord wants to convert the heathen, he'll do so without you and without me. He will send another Pentecost of tongues. And William Carey said, well, with respect, that's drivel. And he went and he converted the Bible into 35 languages or dialects throughout India and including Mandarin. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. And it's very interesting, when his son, Carey's son, planted a church in India, and he wrote this letter to him when his son planted a church. Be encouraged, my dear son. Devote yourself wholly to your work. For this is the cause that God had in mind from eternity. This is the cause for which Jesus has shed his blood, and for which the Spirit and the Word were given, so its success is certain. See, there's a man who got it. I'm going. I'm planning, I'm working really hard, I'm translating into languages you've never even heard of and can't even pronounce. I'm being busy, but I trust that this is all in God's hands. God will sort it out. Both. Together. Wonderful to know that the Lord has his plans, but our part matters. Oh, does it matter? I mean, I don't, I don't think assisted suicide's a good thing. I, I don't, you know, I'm not, I think it's probably a bad thing. Does it matter if I write to my MP or not? Yeah, your part matters. But other people are right, but your part matters. Oh, does it matter if I, you know, there's someone I know, they're not a Christian, I'd quite like to speak to them about Jesus, it'd be wonderful if they became a Christian, but it doesn't matter if I do anything, someone else will speak to them. No, your part matters. What you do matters. Nathan brought needed counsel. Briefly, then look what happens as a result of uh, their action of Nathan and Bathsheba. They speak, and a third and last thing, David was roused to action. Verses 28, really to the end. David's roused to action. All of a sudden, the years drop away a little bit. As he sits up in his bed, verse 29, shivers away, but verse 29, the king took an oath, as surely as the Lord lives, who has delivered me out of every trouble, I will surely carry out today what I swore to you by the Lord. Solomon shall be king. Brilliant. He rouses himself for one final hurrah. And what does he do? He's very proactive and sensible. So verse 33, take your Lord's servants with you, set Solomon on my, on my, own, my son, on my own mule, put him on the royal donkey uh, and take him down. Essentially he says, right, okay, let's sort this out. Get, go to Buckingham Muse, get the royal state coach out, shove Solomon in it and um, get loads of people cheering in the streets, take him to Westminster Abbey, get the Archbishop of Canterbury and the, the, the scepter and the orb and the, get the stone of scone back from Scotland and let's crown the bloke and, um, and then put him on Buckingham Palace and get him waved to the crowds from the balcony. Let's do all that. And they say, yeah, well done, David. Good. Now, I think the striking thing here is David is clearly feeble. He can't get himself warm. He's hopelessly, you know, he's at death's door. But the thing that gets him, the thing that rouses him to action, God's kingdom is threatened. 
And this man who's made all sorts of mistakes in his life, he says, I can do something now for God and I'm going to do it. And that's what rouses him. That's what gets him irritated. So often with you and me, it's not, is it? What gets us irritated? Who is playing that music? Who is playing that music? Gets me irritated, particularly at night. Who is just cutting in front of me? Gets me irritated. David gets irritated because God's kingdom is challenged. It's good. He doesn't think to himself, oh, I'm too old for this. In my youth, I was magnificent. I'll tell you what, 20 years ago, I did great things for God. But it's someone else's turn now. No. He does it. He gets on and does it. Some of you will remember Roger Loosely, who was an elder here, retired. And uh, the nicest thing that was ever said about Roger Loosely was um, in his 60s, a guy in his 30s said, the thing I like about that bloke is he's retired and he's just getting faster in his service of God. He gets more zealous and runs faster to serve the Lord the older he gets. Yeah, magnificent. David's still got one great action in it. David doesn't also think, oh, age isn't going to stop me and sin isn't going to stop me. He doesn't sit there and think, oh, it's my parenting's bogged it up again. The last time a son rebelled against me is because I was a useless parent. Again, I've been a useless parent. And so this son's rebelled against me. Oh, I'm just hopeless. and No, I've made mistakes. I'm going to do what I can. Fabulous. Fabulous. I love the fact that despite all these sin mistakes, David could still do something significant for the kingdom. He's roused to action because God's kingdom is in need of him at this moment. The reputation of the Lord is at stake. That's what gets him angry. That's what gets him, well, he's shivering, he hardly pounces to his feet, but that's what makes him act. It's great. Makes me wonder, what rouses me to action? The glory of Jesus' kingdom or the inconvenience to myself? Mm, it varies. It varies. Oh, look, Adonijah wanted to be king. It's all about me. Nathan brings needed counsel. He acts, believes God's promises, but it causes him to act. And David is is roused to action by Nathan getting involved with Bathsheba. And what happens? Well, at the end of the story, everyone falls away. Um, the, The rebellion crumbles. So they hear what happens in verse 48 and verse 49. Adonijah's guests rose in alarm and dispersed. Adonijah was just terrified, and we'll see what happens to him next week. But here, before we even get to the reign of Solomon, here in 1 Kings chapter 1, the sort of prologue to this book, God's kingdom's under threat. And it all looks so feeble. And the story's here to say to us, don't panic, but do act. Don't panic. If you're a Christian, don't panic when you look around you and think, oh, the church in the UK, it's decrepit, it's old, it can't get itself warm. That's often true, isn't it, in churches? But um, don't, don't panic. But do act. What you do matters. You know, Nathan put his life on the line. Risky. What if David had just said, that's interesting, I've fallen asleep again. Well, he's, Nathan's stuffed now. He's on the losing team. Don't panic, but you trust God's promises and you still act. Because our actions matter. Yes, God has erected promises, bumpers, 
upon our life. Things can never go completely out of control. His purposes will always prevail. The skittles will always go down as he wants them to. But do act. Bumpers is a silly term, isn't it? I don't know what you properly call them. But God's promises. And um, as I was thinking about this, I thought the next time, next year, when it's raining, the next time I go bowling and whether we're with children or not, I might just put the bumpers up. It helps the game go. I think, actually, upon my life, I might view it this way. I might view a cross on either side of this lane. And that's how I live. I know Jesus Christ is risen. I know that he'll return. And I know that his purposes will prevail. And I live my life within that certainty. But I'm still going to bowl the ball and get to as many down as I possibly can. You know what I'm saying. Don't panic. God's purposes will prevail, but do act. What we do matters. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you that you give us stories so that we remember the truths of your word. And as we look at this one, would we take confidence that you're a God who makes promises and they cannot be broken. They will always stand and your plan for this world will prevail. And yet what we do matters. The actions of your servants here really made a difference. You used them to achieve your plans and purposes. And so, Father, would those of us who are Christians, would we act? Would we live for the glory of your kingdom? Would we know that our actions matter? Would we have the joy of seeing you use our feeble efforts to achieve your great purposes? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.